0: Welcome to the Fashion Your Passion podcast, your one-stop shop to finding your passion and living it out right now. I'm your host, Sammy Beatrice, a college student and passion coach committed to helping you, whether you're in school or working a nine-to-five, find your passion that you can do Every single day and help you love your life a little bit more because of it on this podcast you will hear from successful guests as well as solo episodes from your host all about tips on how to find your passion and how to implement it into your life even when you feel like you don't have enough time to let's get to it as many of you know this podcast was just a 4am idea in preparation for a school project now it is a way that I get to spread my voice and help other teens create the best habits for their life. I want to hear your voice, too. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's all the tools you need in the app or on their website. And my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You can make money from your podcast, too. It's everything you need, and all you have to do is go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. I can't wait to listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fashion Your Fashion podcast. This is a super special episode because we are talking everything mental health. You guys submitted your questions and they're going to get answered today, so stay tuned for all of them. I have Sarah Morandi Steves on today who is a psychotherapist, a coach, a speaker, a writer, just everything you possibly imagine. That's what she is. And I'm super excited to have her on the show today. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. Can you just give my listeners a little bit more about what you do, who you are, and just an inside look at the journey
1: to getting to this point where you are today? Absolutely. So I am a licensed clinical social worker. I have been in a private practice setting for the past five years. And prior to being in a private practice setting, I had worked at an agency. My specialized population that I work with is children and families and young adults. And I specialize clinically in anxiety, depression, ADHD, behavioral concerns with younger children, as well as parent training. And so in terms of the clinical work that I do, that's pretty much what my practice is all about. And right now, because of COVID, everything has transitioned to telehealth. So that has been a really cool new experience to kind of get to work with people in a different capacity. And I do coaching, as you had mentioned as well. And so my coaching is very focused specifically for other mental health professionals looking to start their own private practices. So when I had first started my practice, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I knew at some point I would have a practice. I just didn't know that I would do it as early as I ended up doing it. And it was because I had just felt really burnt out and drained and exhausted in the clinic setting that I had been working in for many years. And I just got to the point where I was like, I need a change. I got to do something different. And so I put in my resignation and I gave four weeks notice and I left my job on a Wednesday and I started my practice on a Thursday. And it was a big leap of faith. And it was definitely something that was by far one of the scariest things I've ever done to just kind of start cold turkey and not do the slow transitions. You know, I learned a lot throughout that process. And what I found was I was able to start a really successful thriving practice and many other clinicians Started to approach me about how I was able to do that and what I did and how I got there. And what I started to learn was that there's a real need for guidance around starting a practice. You know, I didn't have any kind of course or anything that I took, you know, I did a lot of research, I did a lot of consults, I had my own business coach, but nothing really specific to starting a practice. And yes. so what I did was, I had initially designed an eight week course for clinicians. And it's a digital course that takes them basically from step one, through all the steps that they would need to start a practice. And then from there, it branched into one on one coaching as well. So it's been a really great situation for me to be in because a, you know, I'm able to not only support other clinicians in reaching their goals, but I also think it's such a service to the community because what I found for so long was so many clinicians who work in these clinic type settings or these agency type settings are just burning out. And so many of them are so great at what they do and they offer so much value to their clients, but they just get to a point where they're so exhausted. And then a lot of them end up leaving the field completely. And I think that that's such a shame because their talents and their abilities are needed. And so what happens is, you know, they get burnt out, they decide, I'm done with this, I'm leaving. And then the people in the community are the ones who miss out. You know, potential clients are the ones who miss out from the work that they could have done. So I have found it to be most rewarding and seeing clinicians who have gotten to that point as well, just really burnt out, exhausted, and feeling like, oh, I just can't go at this pace anymore, starting their practices, not only finding success, but doing really, really, really good work for the clients that they serve. And it's just such an amazing thing for me to be able to witness. So, service-wise, those are the two different services that I offer. And, you know, the speaking pieces and the trainings are just different things that I do in the community. I have a blog. That's where the writing component comes in. And I've done pieces for other different venues. And I also have done a number of trainings and, you know, speaking engagements. And I really just love being able to interact with different audiences in the community. And, you know, it's just been a really cool journey.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And my aunt has a very similar story because she's a social worker. And so she started Mm -hmm. out... In a clinic, you know, working under someone and she got married, she had kids, she's like, I just can't do this anymore. So then, you know, because her husband's also a social worker too. So they sort of both went into private practice and then they sort of made a schedule where she works two days a week, he works the other two days a week, you know, and stuff like that. So she's really made it her own. I think that's such a special piece to going into private practice or just doing your own thing pretty much in any Field is that you can just make your own schedule and sort of be able to, you know, satisfy all of your life needs in the 24 hours you have each day. And so I think that it's just so impactful to have the power to sort of go off and say, I'm going to do this thing. And then, like, just go and do it. You said you learned a lot when you sort of went off into private practice. What is like your top one or two tips you have for people who are stuck in a nine to five or, you know, who are just stuck in this sort of scenario where they can't get out of it and they want to take that next step and sort of begin that freedom, but they're too afraid to.
1: I would say that one of the biggest things that's most important is to know that you can do whatever you set your mind to. So if you're in a nine-to-five setting and you're really, really passionate about something or really have this goal or this dream and you want to do something on your own and kind of branch out from that typical you know, nine-to-five setting... Knowing that it's possible, but knowing that it's going to be a lot of work. And I think that that's the most important thing I can say. And and not in a daunting or way to just have anybody feel like, oh, it's going to be too much. I don't want to do it. But more so to set the expectation and to be realistic. And I think, you know, leaving my job and starting a practice, I knew was going to be hard. I was under no illusion that this was going to be an easy jump, but I don't think I realized just how much work went into it until I was in it. And fortunately, I was in a really good position in my life at the time to take on something like that. Whereas I think if my circumstances had been different, I don't know that I would have been able to start as abruptly as I did, I think I would have had to probably ease into it or, you know, kind of transition in a different way. So I think that that's, what's most important is that anyone who is looking to start their own business, regardless if it's mental health or any other field is to just know that you're going to have to put time and energy in to that. And it's going to take sacrifice. It's funny because I felt burnt out and exhausted in the agency setting, but I feel like I work more running a business than I did ever in an agency. The difference is that I don't feel that same burnout and exhaustion because it's what I love to do. And I'm so passionate about it. As you had just mentioned, it's on my own terms. It's my own schedule and I'm a better clinician. I'm a better person, friend, you know, significant other, and all the roles that I hold, I'm better for it because I'm taking care of myself and I'm not burning out. But that's something that I also had to learn how to do because when I first started my practice. It was very busy and exhausting and draining. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling really stressed. So it was just like, I had to figure out that balance. And so that would be my biggest thing is that anything you want to do, you can absolutely achieve if you put your mind to it 100%. But you have to be realistic about the expectations and know that this isn't going to just be like, oh, I work for myself and I'm my own boss. And like, everything is, you know, honky dory. Like, yeah, you have a lot of benefits to that. And it's amazing if you can achieve that goal but you're going to have to work for it. And I think a lot of people just don't think of it that way.
0: This is sort of the first year where I've had the opportunity to, you know, make my own hours and like really like work for myself because so many of my classes are asynchronous, meaning that I don't have to attend, you know, scheduled Zoom lectures so I can sort of do work whenever. And so it's mm-hmm. been super nice. But I always, always say I say, The tasks you have to do when you start out are going to be so daunting and so difficult because there's little things you don't want to do. But the overarching goal that you have is a thing you're striving for, which I think you need to remind yourself of, because that's the thing you love the most. And just having that in my own mindset has been transformational because I just think about the end goal of what I'm doing right now. And it's like, okay, yeah, let me go do those 17,000 tasks I had to do right now, because, you know, in a year or two, they're going to matter so much more on a bigger level. So people always say that therapists become therapists because they had something happen to them or they want to figure out someone else's problem. So what was sort of your reason for getting into this field and wanting to help others and giving back to the community, you know, in regards to mental
1: health? So I think that for me, it was two things. The first is that by nature, I think this was just the field for me. I was always the one in the friend group who was deemed like the mom or the therapist of the group. And I was always the one giving advice and I was the helper and I was the one who wanted to fix everything. And I kind of just think as a person, that's kind of who I am innately. And then the other component specifically was that I had a loved one who suffered from mental health concerns. And I saw firsthand the impact or lack thereof that treatment can or cannot have, you know, so I saw how amazing treatment was for this individual when it was being utilized, but I also saw the impact that person had when the treatment was not being utilized. And I saw the difference in that. And then additionally, I myself had experienced the benefits of therapy growing up at various times throughout my life in you know conjunction to this individual in my life who was struggling and suffering themselves and I witnessed firsthand for myself the benefits of being able to receive counseling and therapeutic support and just the difference it made and it was one of those things where I always look back and I reflect on how impactful that therapist was for me during those really transitional and difficult times in my life and I just remember being like, I want to do that for other people. I want to be someone who can offer support. And that's kind of, I think, where the, children and families specialization came in specifically because I really wanted to be a support for kids and for families who were struggling or, you know, kids individually who are struggling and letting them know at an early age, like it's okay and you're going to be okay. And there's things that you can do and, you know, just instilling hope and normalizing mental health and normalizing counseling and the need for support and letting them know that you don't need to deal with everything life throws at you by yourself. And you don't have to be in a position where you feel scared to ask for help and really just trying to make it Okay. And so that's kind of how I started. And ultimately, you know, once I started my journey through the educational process and I started taking classes around it, I mean, I obviously just loved it. And that was where I went with it.
0: Yeah, I resonate with that so much because part of my major is counseling. And although I'm not going to become a counselor anytime soon, Mm -hmm. I chose that part of my major because, you know, I'd always been the therapist in the group, I'd always been the mom in the group, but also it's because. I've just seen the transformation within myself of me going to therapy and me doing all these things that I was like, I want to A, learn more about it. That way I can sort of, you know, help others, whether it's through coaching or whatever I, you know, end up doing. But also B, it's like, I want to know how these people do it. You know what I mean? It's like, because you go to therapy and you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, you just like, you spill, you know, just like your guts to this person. And then you're like, wait, they have to sort of take that, unpack it and like you know, and like hold it, but like, how do they do that all? And so this question of like, what is it like, you know? And so that's sort of why I got into all this stuff. I want to dive in to the questions that were submitted because let me tell you, they're like deep questions. Like I was like, I was expecting like some like, you know, like surface level stuff. Like what is this? or Like, what is that? But hopefully you're up for a challenge. I guess I am let's do it I mean at least I think they're deep I'm not sure what your opinion is on them but the first one is how do you distinguish
1: being mildly depressed versus sad for a longer period than normal having it be like a formal depressive diagnosis as opposed to just a typical feeling of sadness or being down Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of factors when it comes to diagnosing. And, you know, what I always tell individuals is that the assessment process is always ongoing. So someone can call to come into a therapeutic setting first, you know, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling depressed. And ultimately, it's not going to just be identified immediately in that first session. It can be discussed, it can be, you know, okay, it seems as though, but ultimately, the assessment process will continue to be ongoing because people are consistently, you know, living their lives and things are happening. And so, what I always kind of, you know, tell people very generally speaking, and of course, the diagnostic process is much more involved than this. And there's a lot of guidelines and, you know, different things that you actually have to, you know, go through and make sure the checklists of things are there. But generally speaking, you know, we as human beings are going to have times of sadness. We're going to have times when we're down, we're going to have things that bum us out or where we're going through a rough patch and things are kind of hard. And ultimately, the most important thing is how are we managing it and how are we handling it? And when people start to find that they're not able to do that and their activities of daily living are being negatively impacted, you know, so ultimately you know, if I have a bad day or if I have a bad couple of days, like, all right, but then it's like, I can bounce back. And like, you know, I kind of go on and I do my thing. But if I'm starting to get to the point where I don't have motivation, I don't want to talk to my friends or family, I'm kind of letting work stuff go, or, you know, I don't really feel like taking care of myself hygiene wise, or I just don't really want to get out of bed, or I'm finding that my moods don't feel as in control anymore as they typically are, you know, maybe I'm more irritable or on edge, you know, those are the types of things that I would talk with a client about and kind of tease out like, well, what's your baseline typically, you know, family history, what are some other types of symptoms that we're Seeing how long, you know, what other stressors are going on in your life? What are the different factors at play that could be contributing to this? Are there, you know, foreign substances being taken in some form that could be, you know, medication or otherwise that could be impacting mood. So there's so many factors when it comes to it. And with things like depression or anxiety, it's hard because like I had just mentioned, we all feel those feelings at some point. And, you know, life is very challenging and we are going to have those moments where we're just really down. So the biggest difference really does come into play of just how is it impacting you? How long have you been experiencing these symptoms and what's the severity level of those symptoms? And again, I'm giving you a very kind of Brief, abridged version of it because ultimately the process to assess and diagnose is a bit lengthier than that. What I would say to your listeners is that if you are in a situation where you're kind of like, "Mm, this feels a little bit more than typical sadness, or this feels a little bit more than just having like a rough day or a rough couple of weeks. It absolutely would be in their best interest to just go, you know, go chat with someone and and just explain what's going on and have that peace of mind of recognizing, like, okay, this is this is this, or you know what, maybe this is able to be identified as some kind of depressive diagnosis, and here are the specific tools that can be really helpful for me to tackle that.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest thing that deciphers the two, at least that I've sort of experienced, you know, my personal life is like it depends on how long it lasts right so if like and it's also like it depends on how if I can actually do something during the day I know it's not like a depressive episode but if I actually like cannot get out of bed for the entire day then I know something more you know more severe is up and stuff like that so I think that your explanation was perfect I think it also just it's a case-by-case basis you know it's like it's like a give and take it's like you have to sort of maybe take this advice and sort of evaluate your own life and look at it and be like, Yay. okay. So like, what's exactly going on, you know, what's specifically
1: happening to me. So I think that that. And- Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, and that's, what's the most important thing. And that's why my recommendation would always be to go talk to a professional, you know, one-on-one because what people often do is hypothesize for themselves or Google. And it's so broad. And like you said, very nicely, it's case by case. And it really is individualized, you know, person for the person. For example, you and I hypothetically could both be experiencing some type of depressive diagnosis, but it's going to present differently for each of us because we're different people and our lifestyles. And things like that. And, you know, it's so hard to just give a blanket. Oh yeah, it's this or, oh yeah, it's that. So that's why, you know, Googling is, is lovely for so many reasons. But when it comes to stuff like this, I always caution people like mm, maybe not Google and just go chat with somebody and, and kind of, you know, get a peace of mind in knowing what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's actually a perfect segue because the next question actually talks about them Googling their <laughs> <symptoms>. Oh, no! <laughs> so this person says, I've been sort of sad and, you know, they feel lonely and stuff like that, but they're able to sort of get up in the morning and go and do their homework and go throughout their day. And they said when they Googled it, they saw the term high-functioning depression flying around. So can you just go into that and if it's actually something that is, because I know I've seen it before too, if it's actually something that is sort of like a medical term or what it is exactly and sort of yeah. how can people decipher, you know, between that and like, you know, depressive disorder and just like being sad.
1: Absolutely. So I think you're right. That was a good segue because mm-hmm. high functioning, generally speaking, can kind of be adapted to any kind of diagnosis. And all high functioning means is that you might be struggling with a specific diagnosis or specific symptoms and be Quote unquote high functioning in the sense that you are doing what you need to do. You are getting up every day. You are taking a shower, brushing your teeth, getting dressed. You are getting to work. You are taking care of your family. You are doing all the things you need to do. But the difference is that internally, you're really, really struggling while you do that. It takes a lot of effort and energy for you to just get up. It takes a lot of effort and energy. So, you know, for you to just get into the shower and so forth. So, yeah, you're doing those things. You're functioning. You're seemingly a functioning member of society. But the difference is internally, like it's a lot harder for you than it really should be. And that's where the difference comes in. And again, it's something that Google is not going to tell you. Google is very broad and very vague. And sure, I mean, I'm not against people researching or trying to better understand and learn. I think it's fantastic. There are so many great, you know, blogs and posts and articles and, you know, even just like Research article, you know, scientific evidence and yeah. all these things out there that people can read and, and learn about, but ultimately it's going to look different for everybody. And like I had mentioned, specifically with anxiety and depressive symptoms, those are the hardest ones because it is that constant of well, what's diagnosable and what's not. And I think the other thing that's so important to highlight is the diagnosis is really just a way for us to understand symptoms. So ultimately, let's just say someone's feeling down or having a rough time and kind of just sad and feeling like, you know, low energy or low motivation and kind of down, regardless if it's diagnostic or not. In therapy, you're tackling the symptoms. You know, the diagnosis just is a way for us to kind of identify what it is the person's struggling with, but it doesn't define who the person is. It's simply just, you know, an identification tool, for lack of better words. You're treating the symptoms. And so whether the person has something formally diagnosable or not, that wouldn't impact their ability to go to therapy. You know, I treat people who do not meet criteria for a formal diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but we're just tackling the stressors or the difficulties that they're dealing with. And that doesn't change because ultimately that's what they need support around. So let's just say it is a situation where somebody is having a rough time or just feeling a little bit low. And maybe it's because they have a lot going on in their personal lives or, you know, they just have a lot of things happening in life. They still could use support on how to manage those tools. It doesn't matter, again, if they meet criteria for a diagnosis or not. It's just like, hey, I need a little extra support right now. Cool, let's help you out.
0: Yes. And that's why I preach therapy to literally every single person I pass by. I always joke with my family. I'm like, you all, I'm like, I'm going to find a therapist (laughs) who can have you all go to them. And I'm like, I'm going to get a group rate for it because you just need to go. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you think you need to or not. I think it just, if you're just struggling with one certain scenario, it's like, it could help so much whether you go for two weeks, you know, two, three, whatever, or you go for months and months and months. Like it doesn't matter. Cause I think for me, I've, been going therapy for five years now and it's changed everything about my life. And it just, it's helped me so much from where I was to where I am today. I just, I can't even, you know, like talk bad about it because like even the worst therapists I have who weren't even that bad still helped me in some way, shape or form, you know? And I'm just like, or at least just
1: talk to somebody. It should just literally just be anyone. I think that people just get really stuck on this and this is to piggyback your point, people get really kind of stuck on this idea of like needing a diagnosis. And it makes sense. I think we as human beings, we just want something to grasp onto to understand it. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm feeling this way, it's because of this. And it just helps our brain better conceptualize it. So that makes sense. But the issue certainly becomes where if they Google or they talk to somebody, or they're just like, okay, well, I don't meet criteria for diagnosis. Like there, I don't need help then. You might still need the support. Now you're feeling like you don't need to, quote unquote, get it or have to have it or whatever because you don't need credit. Like, whatever you're going through, like, we're all people. We all need support in some way. So, yeah. Speaking of support, I love how this is like this is like (laughs) a question. It's actually so great.
0: I didn't even plan it. So, the next question is Is it healthy to talk about problems or does that attract more issues?
1: I think that this is a really great question and I love it because I'm very big on law of attraction and manifesting and setting intentions and kind of what we put out, we get back in. So I think that there's a very big distinction. You can talk about your problems. You should talk about your problems, whether it be with a therapist, a trusted friend, a family member, whatever it might be. Talking about your problems isn't going to cause more problems. Talking about your problems isn't going to attract more issues. Talking about your problems is very healthy. That's how you work through them. The difference is, are you getting stuck in those negative spaces, right? So you could be going through something. You could be having a really hard time and process that with whoever your trusted person that you're processing with is. And then you're doing just that. You're processing and you're working through it. The difference is when people start to kind of complain, for lack of better words, I can't really think of a better word than that, or start to kind of get stuck in that negative space. So it's almost like all they talk about is their issue, or all they're talking about is what they're going through, or all they're talking about is something negative. And that becomes very challenging, because then they start to become, as I'm describing, stuck in that space. So it's all negative all the time. It's constant complaining, it's constant, everything's terrible, this sucks, you know, whatever it might be. And Those individuals, when they kind of get in that space, have a hard time getting out of that as opposed to, yeah, I'm going through some stuff. I'm having a rough day or this has been on my mind or this is really hard for me and I'm working through it, but I'm still able to have moments where I can appreciate things or feel grateful or feel good about things. But there's no evidence that supports, you know, talking about your problems is going to cause more problems. I think it's more, how are you talking about them and how often, and are you talking about them in a way that's lending towards moving through them and and past them? Or are you talking about them in a way that's keeping you stuck in them? Yeah.
0: Cause I think there's a huge difference between talking about your problems just to talk about them and talking about them to gain solutions you know, correct. There's like, there's two different pathways when you do it. It's like, and you consciously choose it, no matter what you think you're doing, like you consciously choose which path you go every single time. So I think that's, you know, I think, and it's also important because I think nowadays it's, it's emphasized is like, you know, you shouldn't reach out that much or all this stuff like that. And it's like, people are like, no, like, that's not true. Like you should reach out if you're, if you're struggling, reach out, period. End of story. You're
1: like, that's Absolutely.
0: You know, and I'm just absolutely like, it doesn't make sense why people are emphasizing the point of like, you shouldn't talk about, not even your problems, but just like talk about what's going on in your life as much because that's what we do as humans, you know? And we, we need that connection and we crave that connection. And especially right now, we need that even more. Absolutely, I completely agree. All right, the next question I think is quite interesting. When I saw it, I was actually kind of excited to uh, ask you about it. So the question is, I've had friends in the past who I no longer talk to, but I wish I was still friends with them now and I can't seem to move on from them. They ask why is this happening and what should I do?
1: Okay, so I just want to make sure I heard it correctly. So the individual is saying that they have had past relationships friendship-wise. Yeah. are no longer in those friendships but wish they were and are having a hard time moving past that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with the very general kind of vague question, so without knowing specifics or details about the specific situation, what I'm hearing is there's likely a lack of closure. So it sounds as though perhaps the relationships had ended maybe without any kind of closure or perhaps this individual asking the question did not want the relationships to end and they did anyway. And they're feeling like, you know, maybe things that there's left unsaid or that they wish that they could have done, you know, kind of that could have, would have, should have living in the past feeling. Right. It's hard to say specifically because the background and and the the details are not there, but I would say, usually what ends up happening in these situations is is that lack of closure feeling like just it's unfinished business or it just feels like unsettled in some way and that's a really icky and uncomfortable feeling because a lot of times there may not be a way to get closure and that then makes us feel like we don't really have control and then that can spark some anxiety and some stress around like, mm, I just want to make this better. I just need to fix it and I can't, you know, there's a couple different options. And again, not knowing specifics, just generally speaking, you know, this is a situation where if you are, you know, missing a past relationship of some type of friendship and you want to Have it again, you know, depending on the circumstances, you could always reach back out to the individuals that you're no longer in contact with. You could try to rekindle those friendships and just kind of reach out to mend fences or to, you know, reignite any kind of relationship that was there. If that's not an option for any reason, or it's not appropriate or it's not applicable, given whatever the circumstances might be, you know, it's a situation where a lot of times this is where like journaling comes into play, you know, being able to write down things in a safe, confidential way. Writing a letter to those people and never sending it, and kind of just being able to say what you need to say in that capacity, processing it in that way. You know, and this is also something that I think is a situation to learn from. You know, what happened in those circumstances? What was the reasoning? You know, where did things quote unquote go wrong? And then how do I learn from this and apply it to my current friendships or future friendships so that I don't find myself in this position again? But Without knowing too much information, I would say it's more of a closure piece. And I think that a lot of that, again, it's either applicable to reach back out and maybe even just to reach back out to get closure and say like, listen, there was a lot of things I wish I said, or you know, it's always been nagging at me. I didn't know why X, Y, or Z happened, or I wish this could have been said at the time, or I wish we could have talked about this. Or like I said, reaching out in the sense of like, hey, can we try again? But that might not always be appropriate and that might not always be applicable. So... If those are the cases, then that's where I would tell, you know, if I was working with somebody to journal about it, write about it and kind of process it that way, because that's the way where you get to actually sit, you know, no distractions and be alone with your thoughts and really kind of work through whatever it is you're thinking about.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to ask you, you know, I've had a friend sort of go through a situation where this sort of thing happened, but it was... Kind of romantically. And so with that, like it ended. And then, like, they have been journaling for months and months and months, and they're still stuck in this point of like, they wish they can just like go back to what they had and they don't want to reach out. Like, with me, it's like I have no relationship like experience at all. So, like, they ask me, and I'm like, I wish I could help you in some way, but I literally can't. So, do you have any
1: thoughts on that in any sense? I think sometimes it's just sitting with the uncomfortable feelings. And, you know, ultimately, if we lose anybody in any capacity, whether it's a true loss in the form of a death, if it's a loss of a relationship romantically, if it's the loss of a friendship, or a falling out with a family member, any kind of loss is exactly that. It's a loss. Mm -hmm. And I think that when it's not the stereotypical loss in the sense of a death, we don't usually categorize it as such. right? So losing a friendship or losing a significant other to a breakup or something of that nature, it really is a grieving process that we go through. I mean, even now in 2020, people are grieving the loss of the life they had prior to the COVID. And we're not putting two and two together and recognizing it that way, but a loss is a loss. And so with that comes time and you have to give yourself time. You have to let yourself feel it. You have to let yourself sit with it. When that happens, it's really icky and uncomfortable and we don't like it. So what we do is we're like, I don't wanna feel this way. I don't wanna deal with this. And by nature, because we're human beings and we wanna protect ourselves, we distract ourselves or we do something else or we're kind of like shoving the emotions away. Mm-hmm. And sitting with the uncomfortable feelings is one of the best things you can do in these types of situations because you gotta feel it. It's a loss. And then recognizing that a loss takes time. You had somebody in your life for however long it was and now this person's not there. They were part of your routine in some way. They were part of your daily life in some way. Or, you know, when you did X, Y, and Z, they were the one you went to for that. Like they were impactful. So their loss is also going to be impactful because now there's a hole there. There's a void. And you kind of just have to let yourself take the time to get through that. And I think because it does feel so uncomfortable and icky, we have this whole like, oh, I want to be over it. I'm done. Like I want to get over it. I just want to get through it. And we almost put like these unrealistic timelines on things. And that's just not fair or realistic because it's like, you can't be like, oh, by next Thursday, I'm going to be over this. Like, that's not how it works. (laughs) It's like you kind of just have to give yourself permission to be sad about it and to process it and trusting that one day it's going to hurt less and less and less. But you kind of have to get yourself to that point and show yourself grace and compassion along the way.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so much goodness is happening. I promise there's one last question from them. (laughs) I promise, I promise, I promise. And I have like one or two questions for you. Yeah. But the last question that I have from them, honestly, it's pretty packed, but I think there's a short answer to this. How can I not feel lonely during quarantine?
1: Oh gosh. Yes. This is the this is the million. How did I know? I know. Oh my gosh. But it's such a good question because it's so prevalent and listen this has been a friggin year like this has been Um, a year and you know people were already struggling with feelings of isolation and loneliness prior to this then you throw in a legitimate pandemic where we absolutely have life-threatening things floating around like all this stuff and everyone had quarantine and everybody you know and and depending on where you live right now depending on where you're listening to it's different for all of us. So every state, every town, you know, we're all under different restrictions. Everybody's kind of operating differently. And it can be incredibly isolating when you cannot go and do the things that you typically did. And so what I'm finding more specifically is that people are missing the life they used to have. They used to go out, they used to go do fun things, they could meet up with friends, they would go out on dates, or they would go out for drinks, or they would go out, you know, to a workout class, or they'd go to the gym or whatever, all these things that gave them a sense of community and a sense of kind the, you know, connection. And then all of a sudden that all stopped. And then everybody kind of got used to like just being a little bit of a hermit and staying indoors. A lot of people just like kind of stopped caring. Like, I mean, we don't have to get dressed up for anything. You can be in sweat. all day, like it just, we all kind of got used to being in this state of just like, ah, all right, whatever. And then all of a sudden like life started to open up again, but in a different way. And we all had to kind of like relearn what that was like. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in like the anxiety factor and everyone's comfort level on things. So long story short, it is very valid to feel lonely right now and to feel isolated. And it is a very real feeling that so many people are experiencing. And it's okay. And it's it's there. I think the most important thing is to... Figure out how to still stay connected in creative ways. So, you know, we are so lucky that this happened during a time where the internet is available and an option. I honestly could not imagine if this happened when like social media didn't exist or the internet didn't exist. I mean, that would just be such a different experience for all of us. So, one of the things that, you know, was really helpful is. Having phone calls. I mean, we are in a world of texting or, you know, getting together, but like actual phone calls, you know, have a phone call with somebody. People got really creative and started doing like pen pals, like just like old school pen pal stuff, like, and getting really excited about like checking the mail every day and like, all right, I'm going to have my pen pal. We're going to write each other letters or send each other actual cards. And like, that's something really fun. Virtual games, you know, like that was something I did a lot during the pandemic is I would do game nights with my friends and we would just kind of do like a Zoom or a FaceTime and we would play a game. We'd play either a board game, we'd play a card game, we'd just make up games. But it was a way to still feel connected even though we couldn't formally be together. Obviously FaceTime, Zooming, like That face-to-face interaction, taking it a step further than the formal phone call is really great because you feel some form of a connection when you can like physically see the person. Other ideas was like cooking together, baking together, like being on a FaceTime or a Zoom and doing something like, all right, tonight we're going to cook tacos or tonight we're doing like make your own pizza and just kind of having that feeling of doing it together together. FaceTime movie dates, stuff like that. There's tons of apps. So a lot of people were utilizing dating apps. You know, if you're looking in that realm of loneliness and you're looking for companionship, a lot of people were getting really creative and going on dating apps and meeting people as opposed to before you could kind of meet someone at a bar, you can meet someone at a restaurant or maybe a friend or a group setting or whatever. And you can meet someone more organically, but the dating app stuff really kind of ramps up because, you know, everyone's feeling this. So you you log on and you meet, you know, you meet people that way and then you start chatting and you have that in common of like, yeah, this is kind of weird. Like we can't meet. So like, how can we get creative and kind of keep talking and get to know each other? There's also apps like Bumble just for friendship. Like they have the Bumble friendship app. That was an app that a lot of people started to use, again, just to kind of start building a a feeling of community and and staying in touch and meeting people in a way that, again, you could relate like, hey, like I can't go out and meet new people at my gym or in my yoga class. So let's kind of connect here and, and start seeing if a friendship could be made. So those are, I would say, really taking advantage of like our internet and the social media component and being able to meet people in these unique ways. And then, of course, staying connected with the people that are already in your life in fun ways as opposed to like, oh, I already talked to them say like, I don't have anything else to say. All right, then watch a movie together or Mm. make dinner together. You don't have to talk the whole time, but maybe just that feeling of, you know, not being lonely while you're cooking your pasta, like someone's there to kind of just like check in with little things like that.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's honestly been a little bit better for me just because like I go to school in California, but basically all of my friends are in New York. And so it's been easier for me to sort of, you know, like talk to them more often and stuff like that because we're not, you know, always going to class or this and that. And I'm not always going to class and the time difference, you know, not as bad. So it's been a lot easier for me. But I think it'd be a really cool TV show to have if, like, they experience a pandemic without internet. Like, that would be very oh interesting God. to see what happens. Like, people would I crazy. could not.
1: I mean, I could not imagine. That's, like, and again, the feeling of loneliness is real and valid, but we yes. have so many luxuries and the ability to stay connected. So it's really, I think, about stepping out of the box and getting creative with how you want to do that. Because I get it. Like, texting and phone calls can become kind of redundant and kind of like, oh, this is boring. So have fun with it. Do something different. Like, organize your closet, Together, I did that. Like I was on the FaceTime with a friend and we organized our closets the same day together. Like we both had to do it. We just chose to do it together. And then it was kind of like, we didn't talk the whole time, but we were on the FaceTime and we would check in or I was doing the game nights. I was doing like cooking dinners together. Like, you know, and then you sit and you eat together, you know, quote unquote, just, yeah. Yeah. Silly little things to try. No, that's so
0: good. Yeah. And sometimes like people just like, don't think about those either, you know, because they're like, oh, it's so annoying. We can't do this and that. And they focus on like what they can't do, but like they forget what they actually can do. Yeah. And can do. So,
1: yeah. Me just, and like, my one friend, we would do dance parties. We'd literally throw on music and we'd FaceTime and we had dance parties together, like just anything to kind of be silly and let go and have fun together. Yeah, a thousand percent, a thousand percent.
0: Thank you so much for answering those questions. They were great questions. I, oh Yeah, they were actually, I was very impressed, very impressed. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes it could be you, you ask a question and there could be so many random things that are sent to you, but I'm glad they were good. <laughs> I want to roll into the final question, which is something that I ask every single guest who has ever been on. And that is based off of the title of this podcast, which is Fashion Your Passion, what is one tip that you would give dreamers based off of how you have fashioned your passion?
1: Hmm. This is a good question. Of all the questions that we're (laughs) today, this is the one that's going to stop me and give me a minute to think about. I would say, and you said this is for like the dreamers and the doers, right? It's for the people who want to start
0: something and want to go after their passion, but they're just not sure how to, or they're scared
1: or they just don't know. Faith over fear. That's my answer. That was a mantra that I still say to myself. And faith does not have to be strictly religious. I just mean faith in general. It can be anything that you want it to be. It doesn't have to be anything tied to anything specific. Just having faith in yourself and having faith in your ability to accomplish and achieve whatever it is you want to. Because at the end of the day, you know what you want to do. You know what you're capable of. And you know if you're going to do the work to get there. And you are going to be hit with roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. If I had listened to every person that told me, what are you thinking? You're crazy. I can't believe you're doing this. You're never going to fill up. You're never going to get clients. Are you out of your mind? What are you doing? Just quitting your job? What, like if I literally stopped and listened to all of those, I wouldn't be here you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation. I would have just cried and probably begged for my job back. And that would have been that. And I still would have been miserable working where I was working. And my life would be so different than it is right now. And I think that that's the most important thing. You have to have faith. And again, just faith in yourself, faith in your ability. And you have to let that trump the fear because the fear will be there. 100% it's going to be there. It's not going anywhere either. The fear is always going to be there. And if the fear is not there, then your dream isn't big enough. Like you have to kind of take it that way too. Like you're going to have a fear because your dream is so big. So Mm -hmm. let that fuel you. Have that faith. Let the fear fuel you. Have faith in yourself and just never stop. Never listen to other people. You know yourself. Listen to your gut. Stick with your instincts. And that's that.
0: Yes. That is such a great way to end. I am a thousand percent positive people are going to want more of your
1: energy. So where can they find you on social and just on the web in general? Yeah, so they can find me on social media. I'm actually so oh gosh, I'm so hit or miss with my social media. So I, and I'm saying this purposely, I love my social media and I love engaging with my followers and I love being connected to community, but I also am a big proponent in taking social media detoxes. So I'm just one of those people that does that often. So I will have stretches of times where I'm like super invested, super involved, and I'm like on it. And then I have times where I just, I take a break and I think it's really healthy. I encourage my own clients to do it for self-care and for mental health and wellness because social media can be amazing, but it can also be very draining and taxing and we need to protect our energy. So they can find me on social at mirandy Steve's underscore LCSW, which I'm sure you'll tag in the notes and stuff too, for people to click. They can find my blog, smstevesblog.com on Pinterest. I have a website, smsteves.com. And I will, you know, make sure that you have all the links to that. So that if people want to stay connected, that they can click on that in your notes section.
0: Yes, for sure. So everyone go check her out. And like she said, all the links will be in the show notes below as well. Do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. That's what helps me rise up in the ranks and just have more people see the show. Sarah, thank you so, so, so much for coming on again. And those of you listening, I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I hope you learned something from this episode. And if you did, don't forget to screenshot you listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story and tag me at Fashion Your Passion podcast. I love hearing what you learned as well. Do not forget to scroll down and leave a rating and review. I love to read those too and know what you guys are thinking about the podcast. Be sure to tell all of your friends about this podcast because I want to spread this to as many teens as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.